Good morning, everyone. It is a delight to be here this morning. I'm all the way from Iowa. Anybody here been in Iowa before? A few? Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for inviting me, Wade, Pastor Wade and Frank. I really appreciate that. I'm excited about this weekend. And that's right, I'm in the, uh, totally in the arena of marriage and hurting families. I'm going to unpack some things for you this morning. But when I, when I say I'm from Iowa, when I say the word Iowa, what do you think of? Yell it out loud. Iowa means? Not bad, not bad. Almost everywhere I go, someone yells out, potatoes! I'm like, that's Idaho, come on. That's a lot of corn in Iowa, a lot of beans. And when I, I was in Iowa last week, and I'm traveling somewhere different every weekend, and it was 10 below zero when I left last weekend, so... But I thought I'd come down here to be really nice and warm. Thank you. That didn't happen. So I I guess I have to endure just like you. But hey, listen, this morning we're going to unpack a message for you titled, How to Fix Your Spouse. Does somebody here know of a spouse that needs fixed this morning? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yep, we got one. Yeah, You know of someone, right? Yeah, (laughs) we're pointing fingers. Yeah. And if you're here and you're not married, I want you to stay tuned in, especially if you're younger, and I'm assuming we got some young ones here that are not married this morning, right? Am I right? Yeah? Good, good. Yeah? She's like, yeah, no. (laughs) Stay tuned in because I want to speak to you specifically because there will be a day where you will be married, and I want to help you now before you're there. And if you're here and you're older and you're not married and maybe you're widowed or your spouse has passed, I want you to stay tuned in because... The truth is God's going to send you people who are broken and they're going to have marriages that are hurting and that are wounded and I want you to be ready to give them a message, a clear message when they come to you. Maybe it's going to be a daughter or a son or a neighbor or a grandchild. I want you to be ready. And if you're here and you are married, whether you're happy or sad, glad or mad, this message is certainly for you. And I brought with me some tools and I want to unpack some tools that we normally use to fix our spouse. And again, if you're not married, maybe you're used to using these tools to fix people. Maybe you've got friends or people in school or parents that are on your nerves. And I want you to know now that we learn how to try to fix situations with our tools from a very young age. And I want to unpack that for you this morning. But before I do, I've got to be honest with you. I don't have a perfect marriage. My wife and I have had our issues. As a matter of fact, when we first got married, I remember uh, going over to Pam's condo because we sold her condo, and she was going to move into my house right after we got married. And I get over to her condo with my truck and my trailer, and we're going to load up all of her furniture and move her in. And I get there. You've got to know something about Pam. She's beautiful, and she's very organized, and she's very safe. And I get over there. And she had all of her furniture sort of wrapped and ready to go. And we loaded up in my trailer. And she, she comes up to me and she puts her hands on my shoulders. And she goes, now Matt, when we drive across town, drive slow. And then she climbs in the trailer and puts her arms around her furniture so it won't get scratched. I'm like, okay. So I'm driving across town and all of a sudden I saw a Taco Bell. And I got hungry for a taco. And she's riding in the back, you know. And the problem is there was a light right there at the intersection that turned yellow. Yell out loud what you do when a light turns yellow. You gun it. I forgot she was even back there for a few seconds. 
And I gunned it, and I whipped to the left and whipped to the right, and the trailer became completely disconnected and passes me with her in it. And I yell out the window, Pam, hold on! Boom, that trailer slammed right into Taco Bell. She gets out, and I get out, and we exchange some words. And then I go in and get three tacos, because I'm focused. Come back out, hook it all back up to my truck, and she climbs back in the trailer, and we go home. That's how we started our marriage. Somebody here needs fixed. We're still discussing which one of us it is. But I want to unpack a message for you this morning on how to fix your spouse, and how to fix people when they irritate you, and they hurt you, and they wound you. And the reason why I brought these tools is to sort of show you what possibly has been happening in your life for years. What tools are you using when you're frustrated with someone? The first tool that I'm going to grab is the hammer. It's anger. I use this tool to fix situations. I choose anger. I don't accidentally get angry. You know, the Bible says that man's anger never produces the righteousness of God. It doesn't say that sometimes it does. It doesn't say that once in a while when you get angry and you choose this tool, it'll fix that situation. It'll fix them. The Bible says it never produces the righteousness of God. And, and as I look at this tool and I look at myself and I'm like, yeah, I'm guilty. I've used this on Pam. I've chose to use it. And I got a question for you, kind of like a Dr. Phil question. If you've been using this tool your whole life, how's it working for you? It doesn't. I can't look back and think of any time I've used this tool and it's produced good things. Matter of fact, I look back at my relationship with my wife, my bride, and, and I think of the times where I got angry with her and it breaks my own heart. Anger. Another tool that we're used to using at times is a, a screwdriver. Kind of like manipulation. It's like, you know what? I'm going to figure out to, how to get what I want. I'm going to behave in a certain way that you're going to yield to me. And maybe sometimes I'm going to use anger as manipulation. Like, I'm going to be so mean that you're just going to give in. You're going to avoid conflict. You're going to take your hands sort of off our relationship and shut down, and I'm going to get what I want, and I can manipulate. Another tool that we use, this is all too often, is a little bitty handsaw. You can't quite see it from where you're sitting, but it's got teeth on it. It cuts both ways, and I call this criticism. Words. Words. The words we choose with those we love. Sometimes the words we choose hurt. They cut. Matter of fact, finish this quote for me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never... That's a lie from Satan. You see, your bruises heal. Your bones heal. But sometimes we get wounded by the words we choose and other people choose, and that, that wound lasts a lifetime. And if I could sit down and interview every one of you and say, hey, when was there a time in your life that somebody said something that hurt you deeply? You could probably recount it like it was yesterday. Words matter. I don't accidentally choose uh, harsh words with Pam. I don't accidentally choose these words. We do it by choice. It's a decision we make. And again, it hurts. I got a couple more. I mean, I could go on and on. This is a tool. I don't know if it's a guide tool or not. 
earplugs. We can tune people out at will. It's a tool that I choose. You irritate me, you frustrate me, you bother me, I'll just tune you out. I'll cut you out. I'll back away. I'll shut off this relationship. You'll see. I'll show you. Whether it's a spouse or a friend or a loved one or a sister or a brother, somebody God's brought in your life to help curve you maybe, I'll, I'll fix you. I'll tune you out. And the last one is what, what we use sometimes is duct tape. We use this tool to fix people. This is kind of like a battle for power and control in marriage. It's going to happen. When you guys get married, there'll be sometimes there'll be this battle for power and control. No, I want it my way. No, my way. The Bible says in the early part of Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell to sin, one of the curses upon them was the wife would fight for power and control. And then it says in the very next verse, but God would put the husband over her. So this has been going on from the beginning. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, when I'm upset with Pam, you know, and she uses harsh, harsh words against me, I'm like, honey, I got something for you. Come on, come over here a little bit closer. I got something that's going to fix you. Come on. And I want to put it right on her mouth. And the truth is, I need to use duct tape, but not on her. What I want to ask you this morning as we turn into our Bible here, what tools are you used to using? What habits have you formed in your life to fix people? And when you think of these tools, are you guilty of having this pattern where when I'm hurt and I'm wounded, I I turn to this habit? And I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7.14 this morning. Because that's where the formula is going to be. The real solution, the real way to fix broken relationships is found right there. And as you're opening up to that passage, 2 Chronicles 7.14, I want to share a thought with you that the tools that we're using, another word for this, if you're taking notes this morning, is this is your flesh. These tools and these habits is my flesh. We're all born flawed. We're all born with some kind of a flaw, sin nature. That's another two words to use. It's our sin nature. I have a sin nature. You have one. And the Bible says we need to die to our flesh every day. What's your flesh habit? It's awesome to learn this when we're young and understand that this is my sin nature and I need to stop it and run to the Lord and turn from it. Let me read this passage to you. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will do three things, I'll heal them. I'll heal that relationship. I'll heal their home and their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their own wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Three things. Three things. The formula is very simple. Somebody comes to you and they got a whole list of grievances against their spouse. Three things will fix that marriage. Humble yourself, seek the Lord, and turn from your own flesh. I'm going to unpack this for you one at a time this morning. And as I get ready to sort of unpack this, I want you to realize that these tools are our, it's our sin nature. I remember one time I was praying, I was really upset with, with Pam early in our marriage with some things that was going on. I was on my knees and I was praying to the Lord. And I'm like, God, you, I, need, I need your help here. And here's what he said to me. He said, Matt, put your tools down and get out of my way. I'm like, what do you mean, God? 
He said, when you're using your tools to fix Pam, and I want, I want this to stick with you this morning, when you use your tools to fix people, God said, Matt, you're hurting your wife to the point where she's now tuning me out. God said, back away from your wife. Get out of my way and let me take care of it. That was a big change in my life. God said, I'm the one that fixes people. God said, I'm the one that's going to change your wife's heart. I'm the one that's going to help your wife grow. So Matt, get out of my way. And with that in mind, I want to unpack this, this formula for you to humble yourself, seek the Lord, and turn for your way. So number one in this formula is humble yourself. Humble me. The first step in fixing a broken relationship is to humble me, humble myself. We're all flawed in this room this morning. I'm flawed, you're flawed, every pastor I know is flawed, every evangelist is flawed, everybody you're ever going to meet is flawed, whoever you marry is going to be flawed. So I want you to do this just for a little exercise, just to make sure we clear the field here. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say this, you're not perfect, tell them right now. They may not know, this could be a shocking to them. It might, take a, yeah, it might take a while to settle in. Could be the first time that they've ever realized such a thing. And now look back at them and say, neither am I. We're all flawed. Every one of us this morning is flawed. And I think when it comes to relationships that are broken down, it's always good to look at that and humble myself and realize that no matter where I go and no matter what conflict there is, I need to look in the mirror and say, hey, Matt, hold on. Before you even start, you're flawed too. Humble yourself. As a matter of fact, I looked up the word humble and I studied it deeply in Scripture and I found the word humble or humility over 88 times in Scripture. Being humble is a big deal to God. It is a big deal. Matter of fact, you can't be too humble. I, I doubt that we're going to get to heaven one day and I mean, you know, I'm going to see God and He's going to say, Hey, Matt, you know, overall, did pretty good, did pretty good. Hey, uh, you know, you didn't have to quite be so humble, though. I doubt that conversation is going to happen. And as I studied Scripture, I'm like, Lord, show me someone in the Bible that excelled with humility. And I found something profound. I found someone that God loves so much that He actually favored this man. And it almost says that He favored him and it was, like, it was like, you know, one of his, his closest admirable relationships. And it was a king, and his name was King. Somebody yell it out. King David. He said, I favored this man. This man is after my own heart. And I thought to myself, I want that closeness with God. As a matter of fact, I want God's favor. And he, it says that he favored King David. How many of you this morning want God's favor in your life? And so I started to study some characteristics of King David. I'm like, okay, Matt, how do I become like King David? What did he do that I'm not doing when it comes to humility? I found something very profound. I wrote down some characteristics of King David. And I actually went backwards and forwards. I wrote down the king before him and the king after him. And so I got these three kings written down consecutively. King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And they all led and they were all anointed and blessed by the Lord. But some really amazing things happened to these three kings. First of all, King Saul was favored by God too. But the end of his life, it ended horribly. No honor. He was given all of this favor by God. 
But, but his life ended in, in somewhat of a, of, a, of a train wreck. Why? Well, it says at the end of his reign, he became arrogant and prideful. He wasn't teachable. And I deal with husbands all across the land and wives who get to a place of anger and, and, and they're not teachable and they're arrogant or prideful and, they, and, and things get dark and things get ugly when we go there. And Saul's life ended that way horribly. The opposite of humility. Then I looked at King David and I'm like, well, let's kind of do some quick math here. What all did David do? Well, David was favored. David was blessed by the Lord. And all of a sudden I found that David had an affair. He had sex with another man's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. Then he had her husband, who was a soldier that worked for him. He had the guy murdered to try to cover it up. So, okay, I wrote down adultery, murder, deceit. Wow. And then Solomon, David's son, he reigned as king. And I wrote down, well, God favored him too. But at the end of his life, he made some pretty bad choices. God said, hey, don't marry women who don't follow me who don't believe in me. Solomon said, yeah, whatever, and he did it anyway. And there's no sign that he became humble and broken before the Lord. So I wrote down these these things next to these three kings, and I found something very amazing in the New Testament. Over and over and over again, I found the name of King David over and over and over, revered, reverent. Reverence to the heritage, reverence to him, reverence to his kingship, reverence to who he was. And I found it to be odd that of the three kings, David's sin against God and his sin seemed far more egregious. It seemed far more offensive. Murder, su- uh, murder, adultery, deceit. And I'm like, God, why is it that of these three kings that you favored David so much, even after he sinned so greatly? And all of a sudden I found the answer in Psalm 51. You see, when David was confronted by Nathan, he did something that the other kings would never have done. David fell on his face before the Lord. He fell on his knees and he cried out to the Lord in Psalm 51 and he says, God, I'm the problem. God, I fell. God, I sinned against you. God, the problem is me. God, I have failed you and you alone, it says in that verse. And I think it is because of David's humility that God's grace was abundant. And when I found this out and I saw this story, it gave me hope. I want, to give you, I want to give you hope this morning that, that maybe you come into the room and you've got some, some decisions you've made in your life that are horrible. And maybe you have fallen like David has fallen. But that's not the end of the story for him, nor is it for you. Become humble. And I try to help husbands all across the land who hurt their wives. Hey, listen, do what David did in Psalm 51. Fall on your face before the Lord and say, hey, God, it's me. Hey, babe, it's me. Hey, Pam, it's me. Hey, Pam, I'm sorry. Hey, Pam, start by blaming me, your husband. Can you imagine a CEO of a company, a king, a president of the United States, a leader, a senior pastor, getting on his knees before our God and saying, hey, God, I'm sorry. Uh, Forgive me. It's me. Can you imagine God's response? It's the beginning of healing. Humble yourself. Humble you. That's what David did. That's what heroes do. And the same thing with wives. Humble yourself. Humble you. Fall on your knees. Fall on your face before the Lord and say, hey, it's me. In all broken relationships in my life, I'm trying to get to a place where I'm like, hey, start with me. I want to unpack this a little bit more before we move on. How, how do we become humble? What are some technical things we can do, some tangible things this morning? 
And if you're young, please grab a hold of this because it can pave a great way for your future to learn how to deal with conflict in this way because God's healing will always be a response to your humility. Number one, I'd like you to get an accountability partner. Get an accountability partner. Here's another term I like to use. Get a wingman for young men. Get a wingman for older men. Get a wingman. What, is it, what do I mean by a wingman? Saul had a wingman. His name was Samuel. David had a wingman. His name was Nathan and sometimes Jonathan. A wingman is someone that I bring in my life who I'm going to share everything and bear all. And that guy is going to know the, the good, the bad, and the ugly about me. And he's going to know, get this, he's going to know what my flesh sin nature looks like so he can hold me accountable, hold my feet to the fire and say, hey, Matt, I'm going to challenge you to walk away from that flesh. Hey, Matt, I'm going to be a Nathan in your life and I'm going to confront you in love and I'm going to help you and I'm going to encourage you. Don't be a lone ranger this morning. It takes humility to share the real you with someone who loves Jesus. And so let your wing person, your wing woman, your wing man be someone of the same sex that loves the Lord Jesus Christ so they can help you with your walk. It's humbling. Take a long, hard look in the mirror. Fear God. Identify changes that I can make. These are ways that I can be humble. And here's another one, and I like this one. Don't return fire with fire. If your spouse wounds you with anger, then don't wound her back with anger. Don't wound him back with anger. Leave your weapons in their holster and walk away. I remember one time I got into an argument with Pam, and I don't know what it was over. We hardly ever remember what the arguments are over. And I got mad, and I got in my truck, and I tore off. Matter of fact, I remember squealing the tires. I'm like, I'm going to show her. Anybody here ever do that? One guy. It must be an Iowa thing. I'm about three blocks down the road, you know, steaming at what she had done. And all of a sudden, God knocked on my head. He's like, hey, Matt, what are you doing? I said, God, this is not a good time. Can you come back later? He said, no, this is a great time. What are you doing? I said, God, did you hear what she said? Did you see the thing she did? God said, Matt, I called you to be a better husband than this. I called you to be a man of patience and love your wife when it's not easy. Do you know that your love for your spouse is never proven when things are great and the sun is shining and your marriage is great and your wife is purrs like a kitten? She's a wonderful lady. She's gentle and she's kind. Or your husband, he makes all the right decisions. That isn't where your love is proved. Your love is proven and shown when they wound you, when they hurt you. That's where I really get to show my wife what I'm made of. It's not always easy. I want to be the kind of husband that loves her when she doesn't deserve it. Matter of fact, I wanted to write a book one time called How to Hug a Porcupine. I'm still working it out. So I'm driving down the road here upset, and the Lord spoke to my heart, and immediately I felt convicted, and I turned away from my flesh, and I decided in that moment to whip into a grocery store to buy my wife flowers. Have any of you ever bought flowers for someone you were mad at? It's weird. I walk into this grocery store, and I go up to the flower counter, and I get the happiest little girl in the world. She's like a 16-year-old, very, very happy. My luck. She goes, oh, you're going to buy your wife flowers. That's so sweet. What kind are you going to get? The cheapest kind you got. 
Matter of fact, whack off the heads and wrap the stems. That'll do. I didn't do that. I got her these flowers. And I get in my truck and I start to drive home. And God did something to my heart in that moment. He started to show me what my wife looked like through his eyes. And on my way home, he whispered this in my ear. God said, Matt, I sent my son to die on the cross for her. Wow. Now I was hoping that I would get home and I would kick the door open, you know, and I'd go running to her and hand her these flowers and she'd be like, oh, you're amazing. Yeah, that did not happen. It took her a while to warm up. Humble yourself. Humble me. Don't return fire with fire. Try to love my wife in the midst of those moments that she hurts me. Ladies, Respect us when we don't deserve it. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make poor decisions. We're going to let you down. Plan for it. And when we do, be the first one to come to us and comfort us. If you want us to love you when you don't deserve it, it's only fair that you respect us when we don't. And I do want you to use duct tape when you try to resolve conflict, but I don't want you to ever use it on you. I'm sorry, on them. I want you to use it on you. I want to bite my tongue until it bleeds. It takes humility to stop the words from rolling off my tongue when I'm frustrated and angry and wounded. It takes humility to control my words and my temperament. It takes humility to stop. That's the kind of man I want to be. I'm still working it out. I'm a lot better, but I got a long way to go. And before I move on to the next point, parents, I want you to know something this morning. The number one way for your children to become humble, the number one way children will learn to be humble, it's not so much by the school system. They're not going to learn it in social media. And even though they're going to learn it in church to a degree, the number one way kids learn how to be humble is by watching you, is by observing you on how you treat mom and how you treat dad. That's how they learn. I don't have time this morning to share with you the lessons that I learned by watching my mom and dad humble each, each themselves to serve each other. And so this formula is very simple. Number one, humble yourself. Number two is to seek God's face. Seek His face. He says, if you want to fix other people around you, humble yourself and then seek me. Seek me. You're hurting? Seek me. You're wounded? Seek me. Somebody hurts you, seek me. And I can't tell you how many times, and we've trained thousands of mentors across the land, and, and we've counseled countless couples, and I can't tell you how many times they'll, they'll come to us with brokenness, and, and they'll have this long list of grievances against their spouse, and you might be here, and you might have a long list of grievances against someone, and I'll say this, have you sought the Lord? What? What, what does that mean? H- have you sought the Lord on the matter? Well, no. I want out. I want a divorce. I want to run. Well, you should run, but not from your spouse. Run to the Lord. Seek me. Some of you might be thinking, well, man, I I seek the Lord. I come to church every weekend. Do you know there are levels of seeking the Lord we know not of? We can't out-seek God. I remember when I was these guys' age up front here, maybe a little bit older, I was in college 
and I was scared of life. I'm like, is someone, you know, am I going to get through college? Am I going to get a good job? Am I going to make enough money to buy a home? Am I going to find a woman who's going to love me and want to marry me? You know, we think of all these things in those years, if you all think back. And in my insecurity in those years, I remember I would take my Bible and I would go to a park and I would sit on a bench all by myself and I would read and I would cry out to the Lord. I would seek Him all alone. And I remember vividly many, many, many hours. And I remember I would sit there and I remember sometimes I would just cry. That's right. A grown man sitting on a bench weeping before my Lord. Seek Him. Seek Him. You got troubles in your life? Seek Him. Things are going well in your life? Seek Him. Seek Him. Here are a couple other ways to seek God. Pray and fast. Give up a meal from time to time and replace that with getting on my knees or your knees and seeking the Lord. Pam and I have decided to try to fast for a week each year together. To give up a meal, give up uh, meals for a whole week and, and just come together, husband and wife. And I remember one year we were doing it, and I came home from work, and we were fasting, and I don't remember what day it was, and, and I walk into our, our dining room, and the whole table was set, and the candles were lit, and the music was playing, and it looked like we were going to have a feast, and I was very confused, and I said, hey, honey, what are we doing? I thought we were fasting, and she said, we are. Take a look at what I put on the plate. So I went into the dining room and looked, and she had handwritten prayers, and she'd put them on our plate. And, and that night we were going to sit at this candlelit table and we were going to pray to the Lord together. And, and we were going to, she had written these prayers for our marriage and our future and our, and our family and our ministry and our hopes and our dreams. My wife did that. That's the kind of woman I married. That's romance. Wow. I sought the Lord with my bride. Seek Him. Study the Word. I also think one of the reasons God favored King David, and I want God to favor you this morning, is the way King David worshipped. He was an unbridled worshiper. He, he, he worshipped in a way that was embarrassing even to one, one of his wives. She was embarrassed by the way he worshipped. I got a feeling when we get to heaven and we're going to be worshipping, it'll be unbridled. It won't be stoic. It won't be formal it'll be very, very unbridled to stand before our God and worship Him. And I want to start practicing now how to em embarrass myself in the way that I worship the Lord. Hey God, I don't care what people think. David was a king. He was like the top dog and he didn't care. Worship Him. S seek Him. Seek Him. And the last, as we get closer to the end this morning, is to turn from our own wicked ways. That's what it says. You want to fix other people? Well, by now, you probably have caught on. You can't fix other people using your tools. You can't fix your spouse. You can't. God can't. You can't. Stop trying. But I can humble myself and seek Him and turn from my own wicked ways. Hey, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first read this years ago, and I saw turn from your own wicked ways, I disengaged from that part of the verse, and here's why. Well, I'm not wicked. Are you wicked? I'm not wicked. I mean, I got issues, but I'm not wicked. And I disengaged because of the word wicked. And all of a sudden, the Lord showed me that all sin is wickedness to Him. All sin. 
Little sin, big sin, little issues, big issues. Anything that grieves the Holy Spirit is wicked. And all of a sudden, I looked at him like, I am wicked. That's me. My sin is wicked. That verse is for me. That verse is for all of us. Turn from my own wickedness. That's the truth of who I am without the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from my own ways. Repent, forgive. Acts 3.19 tells us that if we repent, and that's another thing of turning is repenting, like David did, turning and repenting like David did, and then times of refreshing will come. As a matter of fact, I want you to write down on your note-taking guide this morning, what tool are you most guilty of using? Which one of these, when you're trying to deal with conflict, is the first one that happens to you? I want you to write it down on your note-taking guide this morning. And I want to read this other verse very quickly, because it's a powerful verse. This is, if I were to title this verse, it would be called Crazy Love. This is crazy love. As a matter of fact, I really want the young people to tune in here because this has everything to do with who you choose as a mate in your future. Here it is. 2 Corinthians 2, 5-8 through 8 says this, If anybody ever causes you grief, your spouse will cause you grief. It'll happen. They've not so much grieved me as they've grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. Listen to this. The punishment inflicted upon him or her by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to comfort and forgive them. So they'll not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, reaffirm your love for them. In other words, if somebody causes me grief, the punishment inflicted upon them by everybody else is enough. It says, Matt, don't you punish them. Instead of punishing them, it says this, reach out and comfort them and forgive them so they're not overwhelmed with excessive sorrow for what they've done. In other words, Pam, you hurt me, I'm going to comfort you. Pam, you wound me, I'm going to forgive you, I'm going to reaffirm my love for you when you hurt me. Why? So she is not overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. That's the kind of husband I want to be. And there's only one way I can do this, and that's with the power of the Holy Spirit in me. And here it is. Young people, Ladies, girls, women, let me share this with you. Don't ever marry a man who doesn't know Jesus. Because if he doesn't know Jesus, he can't love you. During those days, you're not lovable. And those days will come. They'll be there. And if you want a husband to love you and comfort you and forgive you when you don't deserve it, the only way that'll ever happen is if you marry a man who knows Jesus Christ because he'll have the Holy Spirit in him. Guys, same thing for you. When you blow it, and you will, marry a woman who can love you and comfort you and forgive you. And the only way she can is if she has the Holy Spirit in her. So no matter how good looking she is, she doesn't know Jesus, walk away. No matter how good looking he is, or how strong he is, or how popular he is, if he doesn't know Jesus, walk away. Amen, parents? Save yourself a lot of trouble. I want to be this kind of husband to my wife. I want to love Pam when it hurts, when I'm hurt. I remember I came home from work one time, and Pam was in the garden. And I said, uh, hello, honey, how are you? You know, And she wouldn't even look at me, and I didn't know something was going on. 
Yoo-hoo, I'm home. And she didn't look at me, and I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. And I wanted to turn to my flesh, but I didn't. Here's what I did. I walked up to her, took the shovel out of her hand, not because I was afraid or anything. And I never said a word. I put duct tape on my mouth and my own wound on how she didn't even greet me. And I just brought her into my chest and put my arms around her. Never said a word. And she melted. The only way I could do that is the Holy Spirit guided me. The only way I could buy her flowers when I was wounded was the Holy Spirit guiding me. Turn from your ways. I don't always do it right. But I'm working on it. That's my prayer for you this morning. Humble the Lord. I'm sorry, humble yourself. Seek the Lord. Turn from your own wicked ways. This formula is simple, but it's certainly not easy. It's hard to do. And as I close, I want to share a story. This is really a story that changed my whole life. It's one of the reasons I'm here. A guy came to me and he says, Hey, uh, he said, Hey, Matt. Got married at a young age. My wife got pregnant at 14 years old. She had her first baby at 15. Our marriage did not start easy. Got married. My wife was 17. I had another child with her, went off to the military. Came back two, three years later. We both got saved. Marriage got worse. Rough, rough road. All of a sudden, my wife came to me and she said this, I don't love you anymore. Matter of fact, I've been seeing another guy and I'm going to leave you. His wife said, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go do life with this other man. And there he stood at a crossroad. He had one of two paths to pick. One was a path of forgiveness where he would comfort her and forgive her while she was with another man. Or he could have picked the path of contempt. Forgive or hold her in contempt. And I don't know how or why, but here's what he said to his wife. You go ahead and you take however long you need with this man, and I'll wait for you. However long it will take, because when I said I do at that altar, it meant something to me. And when you're done with him, you come back to me, and I'll love you all the days of your life. And she left. And the months went on, And all of a sudden, about a year later, he gets a knock at the door and he opens it up and there she stood. Will you take me back? He said, yes, I will. I've been waiting. And he brought her into his chest and he put his arms around her. And he loved her all the days of her life. They're now married 60 years. They had four more sons after that. And I'm one of them. My dad had no idea. He had no idea that when he told my mother, you go ahead and you take however long you need, he had no idea that his decision was going to yield four more sons. He didn't know that his decision was going to yield my life. He didn't know that he would have an unborn son down the road who would leave a career and build a national marriage ministry where thousands of mentors would be trained to fight for marriage and family. You see, your decisions matter. Your marriage isn't going to be just about you. Your marriage isn't just set there for you to be happy. 
It is God's handcrafted vehicle, your marriage, that he wants to use to route miracles through you to your children and their children and thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands, that will come in contact with them all for his glory. My dad didn't know. So somebody comes to you with a list of grievances. Be ready. Give them this formula. Matter of fact, I want all of you to take the note-taking guide out of your, uh, open up your note-taking guide. There's a little card there that says, we need mentored. You're here this morning, and you need help. Maybe you're here and you need help. What I want you to do is sign that card. We're going to train mentors up. They're going to walk with you for 10 weeks in the privacy of their home. And they're going to help you humble yourself and seek the Lord and turn from your ways. It's confidential. Nobody will know it's you this morning if you sign that card. And I just want you to leave the card at your, at your seat. We'll pick them up right after the service. I, I don't want anybody to notice it's you. Just sign it and leave it there. We'll pick it up. We'll contact you in a week. Get help before it's too late. Humble yourself, seek the Lord, and turn from your ways.